Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is going to be a really packed episode because Google is doing stuff. We had sort of hoped that they would hold off on any major algorithm updates while we're dealing with uh, all of the struggles that are coming alongside of social distancing and uh, businesses being closed and people working from home and the world is in such a horrible state right now. And now we've got a Google update to deal with on top of this. Um, for us at Marie Haynes Consulting, it's been good. It's uh, so far, I mean, we're only a couple of days into this, but we're really happy with what we're seeing. Uh, I'm going to share with you in this episode some very early thoughts on what we think Google is doing, uh, but keep in mind that it's only been a couple of days since they actually announced that the core update was happening, so I don't have a lot of concrete information for you, but uh, still have some very interesting things to share. I should say that this is episode number 131, uh, corresponding to newsletter episode number 131 of Search News You Can Use which you can find at mariehaines.com slash podcast. And I'm recording this on Wednesday, May 6th of 2020, two days after Google announced uh, the May core update. Google doesn't want us to give these update names. It seemed like a perfect time to give this a Star Wars game name. Uh, may the fourth be with you. Um, you know, may the fourth be with some of you who uh, potentially have been affected by this update. Uh, but Google doesn't want us to give them names. I think this is more a factor of uh, Barry Schwartz and I um, sort of, uh, I wrote an article about uh, how the August 2018 update strongly affected a lot of medical sites, and Barry Schwartz named it the Medic Update. Uh, but this update in August of 2018 affected a lot of different verticals. Uh, mind you, medical sites were certainly affected more than many others. Uh, and I think ever since that time, Google's been sort of reluctant to uh, put names on algorithm updates. So we're stuck with this May core update, which is not very exciting, but could be exciting for some of you if you're seeing uh, significant changes here. I should start off by saying the same thing with any core update that Google does. It can take days before we notice if websites are affected. Um, this update, though, I think is a relatively big one, and I'll tell you why. Um, normally, when there's an update, it takes about three or four days, and then our inbox starts to fill up with people saying, uh, I think I've been affected by a Google update, and I would like to have a traffic drop assessment, or I'd like you know, some consultation to figure out what's happening with my website. Um, and so Google announced the update May 4th. We didn't see any changes uh, that I could uh, you know, really pay attention to on May 4th. But May 5th, the very next day, we had many sites that uh, saw significant changes. Um, and so the fact that we're seeing people coming to help, uh, coming to us for help already within, you know, a day or two of Google announcing an update to me tells me that there are a lot of people affected by this. Um, so what are we seeing? Uh, I, I'm always a bit reluctant to go give a full algorithm analysis, update analysis, uh, you know, when we've only spent, well, I say we've only spent, I've probably spent uh, 10 to 15 hours <laughs> assessing uh, this already myself, but, uh, but we've only had really one day's worth of data. So what I'm going to talk about here is some of the sites that appear to be uh, making massive improvements and some of the sites that were hit. We did have some clients that were hit with this update. And so uh, I'll share with you a little bit of my thoughts on that. 
Um, if you are a subscriber of our newsletter, a lot of what I'm going to talk about here is only in the premium version of the newsletter. And there's actually more than what I'm going to mention in this podcast here. Um, so what we're trying to do is in the free version, just give you the information that you need to know. Yes, there was an update. Generally, we think it's about this. In our premium version, we have a few examples and uh, more of my thoughts uh, on what's happening. Next week, um, we'll see whether we have enough information to put out a full article on what we think is happening with the update. Uh, one of my favorite things to do after an update is to get together with my team, which uh, this will be the first update that we're going to do this remotely. And uh, we'll all talk about what we're seeing amongst our clients uh, and come up with some more theories and um, see if we can figure out what it is that Google's rewarding and uh, what it is that they're trying to suppress. So one of the things that was very obvious to me as we're looking at the types of sites that uh, were either hit or saw improvements is that Google seems to be uh, making changes surrounding trust, which is not uh, anything that you know should be surprising to anyone. Um, when Google told us that they were releasing the core update, uh, they did it via the Twitter search liaison account, which is run by Danny Sullivan. And um, as they have done for the last few updates, they linked to their blog post on what webmasters should know about core updates. This is the blog post that talks a lot about EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, and, and trustworthiness. Um, speaking of which, in case I forget to mention it, I'm going to be talking, uh, we, we recorded a, a, a webinar with Aleda Solis, and Lily Ray joined us as well to talk about EAT. I believe Aleda is going to be publishing that next week. So we had some really interesting thoughts on EAT and that, and uh, I would really encourage you to, to watch that or listen to it uh, once it comes out. So some of the things that we were seeing, um, why don't I start about uh, talking about some of the sites that saw declines with this update. Now, again, I keep saying this, it's early. So these declines could change. They could revert. We, we, we've seen uh, Google doesn't usually fully revert an update, but we have seen things where they tweak things. And you may see that traffic is down like 50% for a couple of days. And then it's, you know, okay, we're only down 20% um, as Google tweaks the dials a little bit. Uh, and those changes can take some time to, to take effect as well. Um, some of the sites that saw declines uh, in our profile, we had a couple of clients with medical sites that spoke on topics that were related to alternative medicine. Uh, and this has been an area that we really believe Google has been working on for quite some time now in making it so that it's much harder to rank medical content that potentially could be harmful to people. So probably my guess is that uh, they realized that their algorithms weren't doing a perfect job in making it so that coronavirus related posts uh, that are potentially untrustworthy are surfacing. Um, you know, this is something I should probably check. I remember a few weeks ago, somebody tweeted at Danny Sullivan complaining that there was a post that was ranking that was promoting something like ingesting bleach for, to get rid of coronavirus or some horrible advice like that. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, what Danny said, I'll take this to the team. It, it wouldn't surprise me if a big chunk of this update was meant to make it so that um, bad actors do not rank well. Now, some of our clients who saw uh, declines, I, I think bad actors doesn't really uh, describe them properly. Um, and they have lots of excellent content uh, on alternative health topics, but they also have content that is a little bit on the edge. And the type of content where you would say, well, you know, uh, maybe this is true. Maybe it's not. 
who's Google to say um, whether 5G uh, connections are the cause of coronavirus? Um, and, you know, there's people all over the world that are destroying 5G cell phone towers because there are conspiracy theories uh, surfacing that um, and it's actually quite an interesting story. I, I don't subscribe to it, but, uh, you know, the whole idea is that um, the 5G network became really popular initially in Wuhan, where coronavirus uh, came from. And uh, and you can really see that a lot of the areas that have had serious issues with coronavirus uh, have very large 5G networks that are set up. Now, personally, I think that's just uh, related to the fact that 5G networks tend to be are probably set up in affluent areas, uh, areas that, uh, you know, where people can afford <laughs> to buy phones that, um, you know, can have 5G plans. And uh, and so there may um, and then the connection to coronavirus is probably that um, more people who have money are going to be the people who are traveling. And so if you have uh, take, for example, Italy where, um, you know, there's a serious, serious problem with coronavirus. Well, Italy is a tourism destination and there are people just coming and going all the time. And so I think it's more, you know, anyways, this whole podcast is not about whether 5G is causing coronavirus. Um, but what we're seeing is so that type of article can be a good article. I've actually read a few articles because I wanted to know what is it that people are saying about 5G and coronavirus and is there any truth to this? Um, and so there have to be articles that, you know, if somebody like me, like me wants to have a little bit of background information. That's the type of thing that I want to read. The thing is, if you uh, my opinion is if you have enough articles that talk about these fringe topics that like, oh, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Here's some evidence. We don't really know. But you're really leaning towards saying, yeah, it, it is true. Um, then Google uh, doesn't know whether they can trust you. And often websites that uh, talk in this vein uh, can see drops. So we had a couple of clients that um, came to us for site reviews where we said, like, oh, we're not sure if these sites are going to be able to rank again because you're talking on um, sort of conspiracy theories. We've talked about uh, scientific consensus. You know, if you have a lot of articles that talk on subjects that contradict what traditional physicians would say on your topic, uh, then that could be seen as a sign of low trust by Google, unless you are massively authoritative. So let's say there was some truth to this whole 5G thing. Um, and uh, let's say that uh, a research study came out in a reputable, reputable peer-reviewed journal that actually supported this idea. Well, then it would be covered in places like maybe the Mayo Clinic or Harvard or, um, you know, massive uh, research facilities will be producing uh, posts on this potentially being a thing. That's where uh, conspiracy theory or something that, um, you know, is maybe seen as a fringe topic can cross over into becoming mainstream. So unless you are a, a highly authoritative, very trusted website, then you really need to be careful talking about topics that um, potentially are seen as not true by others. So we did see some drops in some clients that had websites where uh, that was their, uh, you know, their primary focus. Um, I'm mostly more interested in the sites that saw improvements, though. And again, we've got lots of stuff in, in uh, the premium version of newsletter on this. Just briefly, um, 
some of our clients that saw, and we have clients that are seeing like massive, you can't even call it a hockey stick. It's like a vertical jump up on, uh, on May 5th, uh, in traffic. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. If it's going to continue to increase or just stay at this level, um, you know, as the, as the days go on, um, from what I can see after looking at a good number of these, most of these are clients of ours that have really been working on improving their EAT. Um, one of our clients has been, uh, you know, really trying hard to get more authoritative news mentions um, and, uh, you know, become more of an authority. Uh, we have others that became more clear on their monetization methods and, uh, and we feel they were rewarded as a result. So I, I think that's all I'm going to say on this for now because because um, again, it's super early. This will be my focus for the next couple of weeks is uh, figuring out or trying to figure out what it is that Google's rewarding. We don't ever claim to have all the answers. Um, and our goal is always to say like, look, how can we improve websites in a way that uh, Google will reward and users will as well. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, you know? So, um, so I think the one other thing I'll mention about this update is uh, it's interesting to see whether or not it's connected to link quality. Um, I've seen some tweets from some black hats that say they don't think it's connected to links. And as much as, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't trust every black hat that I see for, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, but there are several black hats that I know are very, very smart people uh, who can figure out Google's algorithms. And although I might not agree with some of their methods, um, I pay attention to their analysis. And so, uh, you know, some black hats uh, that I, I trust are saying uh, that they don't think this is link related. We're, it's interesting because a number of our clients who saw really, really big gains um, actually have recently filed a disavow. Um, but some of them, though, like one of them only filed a disavow with five uh, URLs in it. I think that's unlikely to cause uh, massive increases in, in growth. Um, and so this is something we have to put a little bit more analysis into. Google has said in the past that core updates are not connected to link quality usually. So probably this is not a link related update update, but you know, it's, it's possible. So we'll be keeping an, an eye on that. If you um, are not aware of it, we do have a massive document that I've been updating since 2012 uh, uh, that lists every known or suspected algorithm update that Google has done. You can find that at, um, I think it's at mariehaines.com slash algo, A-L-G-O. That's the short link for it. And uh, we'll be updating that with more information on this May update as it becomes available. Um, we also released a post just yesterday uh, that should help you to figure out if you're really struggling to determine whether your traffic is down because of coronavirus or because of something that Google did. Then I wrote an article uh, yesterday and we published it this morning on our website, uh, just talking, giving you a few tips to figure out, um, you know, is traffic down because of an update? You know, and one of the things is you can look and see is traffic down in Bing as well as in Google? Uh, are keyword rankings down or are we seeing less search volume that could make it more likely to be uh, related to coronavirus? So we've linked to that in newsletter. Um, it's a little bit of a sort of basic to intermediary, intermediary, intermediate uh, article. Um, those of you who do a lot of advanced Google analytics are probably not going to get a lot of value from it, uh, but it was written more towards the average uh, business owner 
who's trying to make sense of your, your data. Uh, Google announced something called Web Vitals, which initially sounded really exciting to me. I, it may still be exciting. Uh, it looks to me, though, that uh, so it says Web Vitals, essential metrics for a healthy site. Um, but at this point, it seems to be mostly centered around page speed. Still lots of really good stuff. Uh, if you are dealing with improving page speed for websites, then you'll probably find some really good and helpful information in here. Um, I had hoped that there were more things. I was kind of thinking it would be a checklist of, uh, I w when I first opened it up, I was like, can you imagine if it was a checklist of the types of things Google values? use in terms of EAT. Uh, but yeah, I was thinking way too, uh, I was way too hopeful on that. It's mostly about page speed. Um, Google Search Console now supports special announcement structured data. So if you're using that, uh, mostly, you know, most of the people using special announcement structured data are marking up their pages to talk about um, differences in your business during the pandemic. Uh, so now we can see this information in Search Console and uh, and use the rich results test uh, for that type of structured data as well. So that's good. Uh, Gary Ish tweeted something uh, this week about page speed. Nothing new, but it may be for some of you that uh, I saw that one of my, my my team, it takes the whole team to, to write our newsletter. And one of my team uh, said, yeah, this has been discussed before. Um, but for those of us who don't have a photographic memory for SEO, <laughs> Here's the information. Uh, so what Gary said was basically page speed is a ranking factor, but it's a tiny one. Um, so, you know, you should always be working on, well, not always, but you should always strive to have a fast site. Uh, Google's algorithms uh, can potentially demote a site if it's slower, significantly slower, especially on mobile, than uh, other options. But it doesn't mean that you can't rank with a slow site. And as always has to be said, when we talk on the subject, having a fast site is good for reasons outside of SEO. Uh, people tend to convert more. They tend to buy more products products and trust you more uh, if your site is not insanely slow. So um, if you do have a slow website, we would highly recommend working on improving the load time of your pages. Uh, I thought this was interesting. There was a Reddit thread where somebody was asking whether they should trim out old, outdated content from your website. Now, John Mueller's been asked about this before. I remember talking about this in one of my earlier podcasts or maybe newsletters where uh, John said, look, if the content uh, that you're thinking of removing is old, but at some point it was super valuable to people, then that's not causing your site to have problems. And I see this. I see people do uh, thin content um, cleanups, which, I mean, we do that as well. Uh, but sometimes people base it on arbitrary metrics. And so one of the things that people might do is say, well, look, if this post has not had any traffic in the last year, then uh, we want to no index it. That might be true. It might be true. But you need to look at whether that post actually has links pointing to it. And maybe when you published it, say, five years ago, it was super informative. It was super valuable. I mean, I published stuff on, uh, let's say, the Penguin algorithm. In 2013, I was publishing tons of stuff on, on Penguin and my thoughts on Penguin. Uh, and those pages are rarely visited by anybody today. So should I keep them on my website? 
Well, they're still there because they have links pointing to them. And uh, I don't know whether removing that content, I mean, I could remove the content and redirect it to, uh, you know, maybe a page on, on natural links that is more relevant today. But, um, but I don't know whether that's going to have a detrimental effect. So why would I want to remove it? The reason why people do it is because we have this concept that the panda algorithm, and, and I think this concept is true in a lot of cases, that the panda algorithm can uh, treat a site as lower quality if you contain a lot of thin or not helpful content. Um, but I think the take home point here is that if the content was helpful, at some point in its lifetime, then I wouldn't consider it thin today. And in most cases, I probably wouldn't remove it. We'd have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. In this situation, in the Reddit thread that John Mueller popped in on to, uh, so here's the question. Uh, it's a long question, but here's the part of it. A lot of these articles, some now over 10 years old, are broken from past site migrations, meaning that a lot of them have broken images, huge spaces where the images used to be, but no longer display because of formatting issues, as well as very little text. So that's the type of thing where we would very clearly in our reviews say, look, this is content that's not helpful to anybody. You either need to be fixing it. So re-adding good images, uh, you know, fixing the formatting issues and all that. Or you need to take it out of Google's index because it can contribute to Google's assessment of overall quality for your website. Uh, here's what John said. I'm going to I'm going to read part of his answer. Offhand, it sounds like one of the countless tech blogs that collect mostly harmless content over the years. My suspicion is that there's nothing special about it. And at some point, our algorithms are going to, or already have, lose interest in showing the site. You don't mention how it's currently doing, so my guess is you're aiming to do the cleanup to improve the current standings. Um, and so I thought that was interesting when John said uh, our algorithms are going to lose interest in the site. To me, that kind of reminds me of the Panda algorithm. Um, who knows? I mean, I don't even know to what extent uh, Panda is still in the algorithm. I, I do think it is. Um, so his answer was essentially, uh, you know, an it depends sort of SEO answer. But he recommended spending more time focusing on making new content and making that content the best of its kind rather than trimming out the old content. And he said if the old content is truly evergreen and still valuable, then he could imagine that, uh, this is a quote, a cleaned up site around that evergreen content makes it easier to recognize it as being useful. So. We still think that uh, it is helpful. Uh, the type of content that this person was talking about where there are broken images and the formatting's messed up. And if anybody landed on that page, they'd probably go, whoa, what's going on here? And then just click off. Like that's not helping your website. So if you have content like that, you should consider uh, trimming it out cleaning it up. Uh, John did mention, you know, maybe considering just having your category pages for that old content indexed so that people can find it if need be, if they're clearly searching for that. Uh, I thought that was an interesting uh, answer from John. So we've got more in uh, in newsletter on that, but, uh, uh, you know, trimming out thin content has always been a bone of contention uh, amongst SEOs uh, because, you know, I can say, hey, I trimmed out thin. Well, let me tell you an example. I had a case 
back in 2014 of a site that was negatively affected by Panda with this massive drop with a Panda update. And our review showed that for the most part, the site was good, but they had this forum with hundreds of thousands of useless pages. They had posts with no answers. They had uh, uh, profiles indexed where like nobody would ever want to land on those from search. And so we worked with the site owner to um, create a system basically where they only indexed forum posts that had engagement. Uh, I think they instituted like a thumbs up, a thumbs down sort of thing, and they only uh, indexed posts that had thumbs up or a certain number of thumbs up. Uh, and they, you know, there's a number of different things that we went through to make it so that the thin and useless content uh, was taken out of Google's index. So this site saw a uh, complete recovery. I believe it was like 120% recovery, so more than a recovery uh, with a subsequent Panda update. Now, we think that that's because we trimmed out three clean thin content, but it's also possible, I mean, it's rare that you work on a site and you only fix one thing and then you wait for an update. So we had made other changes to that site too, you know, it's hard to say. But uh, we have seen good success uh, in some cases of, in trimming out thin content. So um, if that sounds like something that's happening with your site, then I think it's worthwhile revisiting old content and uh, using uh, some a lot of criteria to determine what stays, what gets improved and what gets removed. Uh, but uh, I think you can often see improvements after doing that. If you do do a big thin content uh, cleanup, it can take months before we see the benefits of that. So keep that in mind as well. Um, let's see. Somebody asked John Mueller on Twitter about a reconsideration request that they filed and it had been, I believe it was eight weeks and they hadn't had a response back yet. Uh, I feel like I've talked about this in the last few newsletters, so I won't dwell on it. But John said, uh, if the last reconsideration request is still pending, submitting another one won't make it be processed faster. The new ones will be discarded as duplicates instead. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so what he's saying is filing another reconsideration request is not going to make it uh, get answered more quickly. Um, if you're waiting for a response from Google, so are we. We're waiting for several clients. It's been, I, I don't think we've had any responses since coronavirus became a serious issue for most of us. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if Google has scaled back on uh, their teams that are reviewing these requests. It's probably not their top priority. I know it's your top priority if you're waiting for one to come back. Uh, but if you look at it from Google's perspective, you know, if they've only got so much money and, and time to allocate uh, to things, there are bigger issues in their mind going on now than fixing your business that, um, you know, went against Google's guidelines. So I know that sounds harsh, um, but I'm just trying to explain what I think Google is is doing. So, uh, so yeah, so hopefully Google starts to respond to these soon and uh, hopefully they'll be a bit more lenient. We, we've had some trouble with some of our reconsideration requests lately where it's getting harder and harder to, uh, to get penalties lifted. We still, um, you know, I, I'll say like for sites that we do the full work, like from start to finish and trying to get a, a penalty lifted for unnatural links. We still have a 100% success rate, uh, but we have a few clients that we're waiting uh, to hear back from. And I anticipate that we'll uh, get those manual actions removed, but it, it can be quite challenging. Um, somebody asked, uh, Mark Preston asked John Mueller on Twitter, if a site goes down, how long does it need to be down before it starts to have a negative impact on rankings? And John said that uh, depending on how it goes down, 
Google can start dropping the URLs after a couple of days. It happens on a per URL basis, uh, but it can come back very, very quickly again. So if your website has been down, it certainly can impact its ability to rank. Uh, but when it comes back, it should be able to rank just as it did before. Um, let's see. Next thing somebody asked uh, on Twitter whether it was OK on, in Google's eyes to use emojis in your snippets. Uh, so you're talking about your meta description, the example given, it looks like it's maybe uh, an FAQ or I'm not sure what it is that they're trying to mark up here. But uh, John's answer was you can do a lot of things, but it doesn't mean that people will go to your site more or that they'll convert better. Personally, I find this kind of snippet comes across quite unprofessional, but maybe users in your country disagree. Test results beat Twitter opinions. So, uh, you know, yes. You can put emojis in snippets. Uh, you, I believe you can still put emojis in title tags. And people get very excited doing that. I think it's kind of rewarding when you make a change, you know, in the code and it appears on your computer screen and you write this little change and then you can see it in Google search results. It's, it's rewarding. It's There's not a lot of tasks as SEOs that we do where we can see almost an instant result like, oh, I did that. <laughs> so I could see why some SEOs do it. Uh, but I haven't seen any studies that, show that it improves click-through rate i think in some cases it might make more it might get more eyeballs on a particular piece uh but you know if you're a professional brand it may be challenging to uh to continue to look professional using emojis so that would be something that would be very easy to test use emojis in some of your title tags or in some of your snippets and uh and see if you see an improvement in click-through rate I think that would, if anybody has done tests on that, uh, feel free to reach out to us, uh, help at mariehaines.com. Uh, we're usually keen to put tests in the uh, the newsletter. Um, I should just say we've had a lot of people reaching out wanting us to advertise their new course or their new product. And and uh, we're going to cut back probably a little bit on that um, just because we can't put everything in there. But if you do see something in the newsletter, it's generally because we have a relationship with the, the person who's publishing this or we think that it's really, really good information. Um, and no, we don't take payment for uh, for being listed in, in newsletter. Um, let's see here. Oh, this was super interesting. I, I spent some time this week going through some of the recent help hangouts. I apologize. I haven't had as much time to do that as I used to. And I should be making time for it because there's so many nuggets in there that uh, I know that not absolutely every word that John Mueller says is like gospel truth of what is going to happen in the search results. But John is a good, honest guy, and he's doing his best to answer these questions. And every now and then he just gives us this little bit of information that we can say, ah, maybe we can grab that and improve our the quality of our website because John sort of hinted that this could be uh, something that uh, Google values in terms of quality. Um, this question here uh, was talking about ranking product pages. So it was a, an e-commerce page, a commercial page that they were having trouble ranking. And uh, John had a very long answer, which it's in newsletter. I tweeted about it. Um, and highlighted the important parts. But he said that Google does try to understand what the intent behind a query is. And quote, if we can tell that the intent is something where the user wants more information, maybe we'll show more informational pages. If we can tell that the intent is more commercial, more transactional, that they want to buy one of these things, then maybe we'll show like commercial pages. Um, 
And uh, and so he goes on to describe how Google would determine, well, he doesn't actually tell us how, but that Google does determine, um, you know, whether pages should be ranked for informational queries or commercial queries. I spoke about this in a recent talk. I want to say it was when I spoke with uh, Sumrush doing the four hours of EAT. I didn't do all four hours, but uh, it was a fantastic afternoon. If, if you uh, have not watched that, I would highly recommend it. There were four hours of uh, people who have, you know, been spending hours and hours of their lives trying to figure out this EAT thing. So it, it uh, there was a lot of really, really good information there. Um, and I mentioned in that in that that uh, if you do a search for, uh, I think the query that I was looking for was vitamin D. Every post that was ranking when I did that search was an informational page. It was like the Mayo Clinic, some official thing from Harvard. Um, it, it was all informational pages. If I do a search for buy vitamin D, I see a shopping carousel. I see Amazon. I see Walgreens. I see people who sell vitamins. Um, and, you know, people that we recognize as like, oh, this is this massive seller of vitamins. And so if I typed in buy vitamin D, it's pretty clear to Google what my searcher intent is that I'm looking to shop. I have my credit card out. Um, uh, coincidentally, they have found that vitamin D is highly connected with coronavirus. I've been taking vitamin D for uh, over a year now because I uh, found out I have a dairy allergy. And so um, I don't know. Apparently it adds some protection against coronavirus. So there's your medical advice that I'm not qualified to give. <laughs> I wouldn't go starting it just because of me. Talk to your doctor first. Um, but let's say I do a query that's uh, a little bit more ambiguous. Like let's say I searched for should I be on vitamin D? I did that and I saw um, almost all informational pages and there were one or two results that snuck in that were transactional that were e-commerce sites. So if you're struggling to rank, let's let's say you were you used to rank number 1 with this page that you have for your top selling product and um you know and it's a very good informational page and now you're no longer ranking for that. What you might find is that if you make that page a little bit less salesy, Google may classify it as an informational page. There was a fantastic talk by Stacy McNaught at uh, Search Love Boston, where she shared how uh, a client did that. I feel like I've talked about that in podcast as well before. Um, the general idea is that they took a page that was very salesy, had many, many calls to action. They removed the vast majority of the calls to action and made this more of an informational page. And they were able to return to top three rankings again for this uh, this client. The problem, though, is that when you remove the calls to action, you're going to have fewer sales from that page. So it's a bit of a toss up, right? Um, you know, it's great to rank number one, but if nobody's actually buying your product, well, is it that great? You know, maybe it's brand recognition. Uh, but that's something to look at. So if you're struggling to rank for a query, one of the best tips that I can give is to look at who's currently ranking. If everybody who's currently ranking, like if you're an e-commerce site and all the sites that are ranking are massive authoritative medical sites with informational pages, that's not really something that you should go after, you know, unless you're reaching that level of authority in the, the website that you have. Uh, but for most of us, that's probably not the case. So um, you could really, really learn a lot by looking at who Google is currently wanting to value uh, and rank. And, um, and, you know, you don't necessarily need to copy them, but kind of determine, can I break into this uh, search result? Because often, see, in the past, 
I want to, I was going to say good SEO. Some SEO could get you there. Like you could pay for links that could vault you above these authoritative websites. And now that, you know, rarely works anymore. So, um, so that's something to, to consider. A question asked of John Mueller again, does the value of a link change depending on where it's found on the page? Uh, Gary, you should have hinted at this. He, you know, I'm glad we have this written down because I used to say all the time that Gary said this in, a, it was a Q&A section of a PubCon uh, talk that he did, but we didn't have anything written down anywhere. And it was, it was hard to say, well, I heard Gary say it, you know, so it must be true. Um, John actually did say that, uh, they focus on the primary content in the page and that links that are in the body of the content, they are likely weighed more than others. Uh, I remember uh, there was another Google employee, uh, Zineb8, and she had tweeted uh, a tweet in French, I remember, that uh, basically said that um, links in the footer and in boilerplate content are generally seen as lower value to Google. So we always try to get links into our content uh, from within the main content. Uh, and Google really likes, if you're linking internally to your own content, that they like you to use keyword anchors. I, I see people who struggle all the time. They're like, no, 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 I can't put a keyword anchor because that's unnatural. Listen, if I'm writing an article about unnatural links and um, I want to link to, you know, the pay, my sales page for unnatural link penalties, um, I'm going to put, I'm going to anchor it with, you know, unnatural link penalty or something like that, that I want that page to rank for. Matt Cutts was asked about whether that could be overdone many years ago. Now, who knows, maybe things have changed, but Matt kind of essentially said like, look, you'd have to insanely overdo it for Google to take issue with your internal links being keyword uh, anchored. So um, hopefully that helps somebody because I think uh, there's a lot of people that are really afraid to link with a keyword. Uh, and this is because of Penguin, that uh, it was very clear that sites that were initially hit by Penguin had a lot of keyword anchors. But the important thing is that it was the intent behind those links. Uh, sites that were affected by Penguin were ones that were building their own links on external sites, not internal links for the most part. Um, somebody was asking whether you can add a, uh, a schema to get yourself a site link search box. Uh, I, I'm sure you've seen this where sometimes if you search for a brand on Google, you'll see like, you know, if I search for Walmart, right in the search results, there's going to be a little box that says I can search for products from Walmart. Um, and uh, that you cannot get that by adding schema. But what John Mueller said was that if you uh, do add schema, it can help Google determine uh, basically how to display the search box or which part of your site uh, to be using. So uh, this is another area where schema can help Google to understand your website better, but uh, you know it shouldn't really impact rankings at all. Uh, do, do non-canonical versions of pages eat up crawl budget? This was another interesting thing from uh, the Help Hangout that I was uh, looking at this week. Um, let's see, crawl budget. So just in case anybody doesn't know, the whole idea of crawl budget is that Google can only allocate so much time to crawling your website. And you really want Google to be crawling the higher quality parts of your website. And so, uh, you know, if you have 
really low quality pages that maybe you've got this web of like interlinking that Google, as they spider your website, they get trapped in this web of like, let's say it's a calendar page. And now they're, they're crawling every single date on your calendar um, and all these dynamic versions of your site. Well, you don't want Google to be spending time working on that. You want them to be crawling your high quality pages. Uh, and so uh, here's what John said about uh, if Google is crawling non-canonical versions. So an example would be like a page that, um, you know, it's your article.html slash page one or with facets on it, like, oh, this is the version with the red t-shirts or the red size small t-shirts, um, things like that, you know, where it's canonicalized to just t-shirts. Uh, so if Google's crawling the non-canonical versions, here's the quote from John. We do still look at them from time to time, but it's not as often as we would crawl normal URLs. So usually what happens when we have a set of URLs and we pick up one URL as canonical for that set, we will mostly focus on that single URL and crawl that one primarily well, still uh, while still occasionally looking at the other ones. Uh, so I think Google is getting better at determining like, oh, we should be focusing our time on these links here. And they may from time to time go back and crawl one that's not the canonical version just to see if anything's changed. Uh, but generally they focus on the canonical version. Um, this was a tweet from Glenn Gabe. I believe this was from a help hangout as well. He said, are your articles suddenly getting de-indexed? Uh, via John Mueller, this is usually a quality issue and less of a technical one. Our algorithms might be looking at that section of the site or the site overall and thinking it doesn't make sense to index pages there. If you're struggling getting pages indexed, there can be technical reasons for it. But if you've exhausted all the technical reasons and you just can't get pages indexed, we really feel like Google is doing a better job. Uh, maybe better is not the right word. A um, stronger. A, they're just doing more in terms of um, making it so that lower quality content doesn't even reach the index. Uh, so if you have, uh, and I've, I've seen a lot of people, like more than five, I would say, on Twitter uh, uh, asking John Mueller about this thing, or, or you know, asking in general uh, about SEO, saying we uh, are publishing content and it can't, Google will not index it. Um, and I think Google is getting better at figuring out, like, look, you wrote this article on coronavirus and there's eight million articles on coronavirus on the Web. And your article doesn't really add any value compared to the other eight million that we already have. So why would I want to publish it? Um, you know, we just had this core update and Google linked to their document on what we need to know about core updates. And uh, there are several bullet points in that document that talk about questions you can ask yourself to determine whether your content is high quality. And most of the time when we ask those questions, uh, you can see that like we're just producing a lot of people are just producing content for the sake of producing content. We call it blogging for blogging's sake. The, and people used to do that. You, that used to be the SEO advice that you needed to blog every single day to show Google that you were fresh and that you had new content coming out every day. Uh, and that's not recommended now unless you can produce content that's truly the best of its kind. Uh, and producing mass volumes of content uh, can really, really hurt your site because, um, you know, Google may pick out the odd one and say, oh, this is good. But if you have one gem amongst a thousand duds 
will Google want to be surfacing your website? More often than not, you're producing low quality content. So probably not. So if you're struggling to get um, pages indexed, then I really would take some time to look at the quality of your pages. And that can be hard to assess on your own. So that's something where it may be worthwhile to have a third party who's not really closely connected to your website um, and put your website and several competitors in front of them and say like, hey, if you had to choose, you know, rank these from one to five, being one being the most useful, if they're not consistently choosing you as number one, then you have work to do. Let's talk about uh, Backlinko's ranking study. I, I, you know, this came out last week and I, I probably should have talked about it in newsletter or in podcasts, but we had too much other stuff going on. Um, most of you are probably aware that Brian Dean put out this study uh, where they looked at, I believe it was millions of search queries and uh, tried to see what the commonalities were amongst sites that were ranking on the top page. Now, ranking factor studies always, always get uh, ripped apart by the SEO community. Um, and the reason is that because we don't know. There, there are so many guesses. It's kind of like what we do, right? I mean, we say, look, we've analyzed these websites and our thought is that Google's doing this. So Brian Dean, Backlinko, produced this uh, study, which I thought was really well done. I don't know that I completely agree with, uh, you know, some of the stuff that's in there. Um, and I'm actually quite disappointed in the SEO community. Uh, I see this all the time that, you know, somebody publishes something and then we rip it to shreds on Twitter and then they never publish again. I had some stuff that I wrote on EAT a couple of years ago, and I had uh, SEOs that I respect come to me and tell me why I was wrong. Um, and I had people behind my back. Uh, I would I have people all the time that send me messages that say, oh, did you know that this person in this private Facebook group is saying that you don't know what you're talking about? Well, stop. Like, I can, I can for the most part, handle that. But the problem is, there's somebody else in that group who's thinking of producing a study or writing something saying like, hey, I did this test and maybe maybe it'll help some people. And they're not going to publish it because we're just we're, we're, we're too critical of each other. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. I think, um, you know, I think you get my point, but I would really urge us. I think it's it's important. We can still have discussions where I can say like, hey, I didn't really 100 percent agree with this. Um, but I did take value from these parts and, and that's okay. So uh, some of the things that um, um, let's see, well, we've got uh, a lot of stuff in newsletter and this is becoming a really long podcast. So I'm going to skip over uh, some of the thing, the most part of the things that, um, that we disagree. Well, disagreed is not the right word that we took note on. Um, what can I talk about? The one that was interesting though, was that they found that there was very little correlation between using a keyword in your title tag and ranking on the first page. So that kind of flies in the face of everything we know about title tags. We did a study a couple of years ago um, that showed that uh, keywords in your title tag, especially if they were closer to the beginning of your title tag, tended to uh, work better to rank pages. Uh, I want to redo that study now. I, I don't know if I'll have time to do it, but, um, but that was interesting what they found there. Let's move on a little bit more here. Uh, apparently Google slashed their own marketing budget. That's a little bit of a concern. It's the first time Google has ever cut their marketing budget. Uh, Forbes wrote about it. And um, the reason why I mentioned that is, and just keep that in mind, like, 
so many businesses are cutting their marketing budgets. And then uh, now we don't do um, AdSense. I, I mean, I have my own websites that I have AdSense on, but uh, we don't do it for clients. But we do have clients that monetize via AdSense. And um, what a lot of them are noticing is that, uh, you know, even if their traffic is up, we, we have one client who has a very nice increase in traffic because they write about things that are world events and they're well known for that. And so I said to the site owner, like, you must be killing it in terms of ad revenue. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, we have more impressions, but ads are worth very little right now. Um, and I guess that's because people aren't bidding as much. So, uh, so if fewer people are running ads, then ads are less expensive. So maybe that's a good thing for some of you who want to start advertising. Uh, but for those who rely on AdSense as a revenue, it's not quite so good. Um, amp stories, apparently they've changed the name now to web stories. Uh, I think, I still think amp stories or now web stories are going to be a huge thing. Um, and I think Google maybe changed the name because a lot of people don't like amp. Uh, and a lot of websites um, probably could create these stories that, uh, you know, maybe they don't uh, have the resources to create amp pages, although it's not like it's terribly hard to do that. Amp stories are, um, you could see them often uh, at the the top of mobile search results. And they're sort of like an Instagram story that you, you know, you, you, you swipe through different pages. I think that they're possibly a way to gain some free real estate in the search results. Um, I, I, I've used this example before, but like, let's say I was a plumber uh, in Ottawa and uh, I'm struggling to, to rank above the other authoritative plumbers, uh, you know, the ones that are known as the best in the city. And, and I'm, you know, new and getting this thing going. Let's say I create a resource on um, an AMP story on uh, all the things you can do to unclog your toilet. Well, that may rank it for, you know, clogged toilet in Ottawa. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm speculating here because I haven't actually used AMP stories. But I think that that's something and that's something where uh, if AMP stories take off, we need somebody to become the subject matter expert on that. So if you're interested in AMP stories, I would encourage you to do what I did when uh, I started learning about Google penalties is just start writing stuff, give people tips on how they can create them, uh, do some case studies and show people how awesome they are. And then if they really take off, then you'll be the person who's known as the expert on AMP stories and boom, you have a business. Uh, you know, I, I, there's so many areas. SEO is still very young um, and there's lots of opportunity for people to rise up and be the subject matter experts in many different things. Uh, Blake Denham posted on Twitter that there's potentially an issue with Yoast. Yoast is a popular SEO plugin that a lot of people use for WordPress. Um, he had a client who installed, uh, let's see, the newest version of Yoast, and it caused a critical error in WordPress and broke the site. Now, apparently Yoast is aware of this. They um, have a fix for it. It's connected to some other plugins that were not behaving well with Yoast. Uh, but so if you're... Uh, upgrading your your Yoast version, I would encourage you make a backup before you do that and uh, check things. Make sure that your site is not breaking. Um, I think that's probably fixed by now, though. Yoast, is a, Yoast seems to have a really good uh, team that um, they're on top of things very, very quickly. Uh, I use Yoast for uh, for my websites. So, um, so we'll see. Hopefully that doesn't get worse, that situation.
Uh, in terms of local SEO, uh, we had some input in newsletter again from the team at Sterling Sky. Um, they're noticing that there is some fluctuation in local ranking algorithms as well, which is really frustrating because when Google does a core update, core updates tend to deal with organic results. Uh, they really shouldn't affect the local results, although sometimes it can be tied in together because I really do believe that um, there's a component of like, oh, you have to be ranking organically in some verticals for Google to consider you for a maps ranking. Um, but, uh, but really when Google makes changes to the organic rankings, we don't usually see that affect the local packs. Um, and they're seeing that now. Uh, what Joy Hawkins was telling us is that they're seeing a lot of uh, businesses that are just completely uh, getting bounced out of the local packs. And then in 48 hours, they bounce back in again and they haven't been able to figure out what's happening there. So lots of craziness happening. Um, potentially by next week, we'll have some sort of an answer for you on that. Um, let's see here now. But still on Google My Business, uh, there is a new um, way that you can submit. Uh, the, there's a redressal complaint form that you can use to submit Google My Business name spam. spam. So if you see a competitor who's like, you know, their their name has changed from uh, Smith and Company Attorneys to Smith and Company Attorney, best attorney in Toronto, divorce, divorce lawyer, blah, 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 as their Google My Business name. Uh, you can submit that through this form and that should, uh, you know, resolve the problem. Hopefully, I don't know how quickly Google is responding to uh, requests through Google My Business. I feel like that's probably uh, still in a bit of a backlog. That said, um, we've been saying for several weeks now that reviews in Google My Business are not appearing. Joy has noticed that uh, for several of her clients, reviews that were written in March are now beginning to surface, um, but you're not getting email alerts for them. So that's something you may want to take, uh, take care of uh, is look and see. Have you had any reviews, especially uh, because you might want to see if there are reviews that you need to respond to. Um, if there's reviews that talk about a problem or, uh, you know, a problem with your business, then we always recommend that you respond to that in a way that lets other people reading the review know that uh, you're on top of things and that this is not going to be an issue for them if they come to be a customer with you as well. Let's finish this with uh, a Q&A. And, oh, gosh, it's one that is could potentially take a long answer. So, Hang in there. This is the podcast is getting longer and longer. It, this week is because there's just way too much SEO news. So I'm going to work on getting this shorter because I don't think my voice can take this every week. But uh, but this is a really good question. So Nick asked whether purchasing expired domains was a good idea. Um, so he says, I've been taking a look at the link building strategy of one of my many competitors, and it caught my eye that they're acquiring a lot of domains and setting 301 redirects to their website. Okay, uh, so I think you know what I'm talking about here. If, um, you know, a company had a bunch of links pointing to their website and say they went out of business, gosh, you know, if you're into expired domains, now is probably the time to be snapping them up. There's probably a lot of businesses that are uh, shutting down that have like decent link profiles. But wait, I'm not recommending that. You know, I'm not recommending that. 
so here's the idea that you buy these expired domains that are somewhat related to your business and then you redirect them to your website. Now, Google has said in the past that if you um, do redirects from anything, really, if you do blanket redirects to your homepage, so like let's say you bought 50 expired domains and you redirected them all to your homepage, Google's really good at figuring out that like, okay, that doesn't mean all of a sudden you have links, you know, these thousands of links pointing to your homepage. Uh, they don't recommend that. And we've seen that. We've tried that with some clients, not expired domains, but um, broken link building type things. And uh, it, it doesn't seem to work. So um, what some people do is they'll buy up old websites, recreate the website, and link uh, from particular pages to something that would be relevant on their website. And maybe that works a little bit better. I want to tell you a story about, um, I want to say this is like 2009 maybe a bit later. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember the SEO chat forums. There was a user named Fathom in there. And Fathom was really, really interesting. And he would start talking about using expired domains. Now, Fathom has since passed away, which is very sad. Every time he talked about expired domains, I would have this internal turmoil because uh, I knew it was something that wasn't really above board in terms of, of what Google would want to see, but it looked like something that was very rewarding. And I remember I went out and uh, started looking for domains for a local client that it wasn't a client. I think it was one of my own websites. Uh, and I found this expired domain that was a page rank six and I bought it for like $200 or something um, and redirected it to my website. And I'm telling you, it worked. And then every day I felt horrible about it. Uh, the website was for a particular organization here in Ottawa. And I was like, what if they one day find this website that I've reconstituted and linked to uh, my business? And it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right to me. Now, I understand, though, why people do it, because sometimes it can work. Sometimes it makes sense. Like, let's say you acquired a company. Um, and that company owns some uh, one or two websites uh, and you now redirect those websites to your current business. That makes sense. That, that makes sense outside of SEO. If somebody goes to their old website, you want them to end up on your current website. Um, but what if you're doing it for completely for SEO reasons? So what if you manage to find enough expired domains uh, and redirect them to your website and it actually does work to improve rankings. Now, John Mueller, I found, I went back to, this was in June of 2019 where somebody asked him in a help hangout and somebody was asking about this very thing. And let's see here. He said, from so from what I noticed there, this site was building a lot of links using expired domains where essentially the old content of the domain was loaded back and links were added to those domains. And sometimes we see this happening on a really, really large scale where there'll be thousands or tens of thousands of expired domains where these links are kind of embedded and uh, used in various sneaky ways. So he's basically saying like Google knows that this is something that people do. And he also said that uh, if they find it, they're very quick to give penalties for this. So unnatural link penalties, we've certainly seen those. Um, and then in the same hangout, he said that uh, that's something that's a really old school technique. He's talking about buying expired domains and redirecting to your website. And that's something that we work really hard on recognizing and ignoring. So on one hand, 
I know that you know in asking this question that it's something you wouldn't want to show the web spam team. I think what you're asking is, can I do it? Will it work? Is it likely to get me into trouble? And I think in most cases when people do this, it doesn't work. In some cases it does, but it comes with great risk. And here's the risk, because people say all the time, oh, but I'll just do it. And if my traffic drops, then I'll, um, you know, I'll just remove all those redirects. That'll be fine. But here's the thing. It's rarely black and white like that. So let's say you do this. And let's say three months from now, you start seeing a bit of a decline in traffic. And the decline just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, just gradually over time. You're not going to know, is that decline due to these expired domains? I mean, John Mueller has told us that uh, even algorithmically, so if you don't get a, a, a manual links penalty, even algorithmically, if Google catches on that you're doing something that is considered a link scheme and it's working, then they'll just say, look, we can't trust any of the links pointing to the site. So let's just put less value in all of their links. I'm generalizing here. I don't know exactly how Google does that. But John, we, I've written several articles on how uh, uh, what John Mueller said in regards to that. So let's say it takes some time for Google's algorithms to catch up to this and you start seeing a decline in traffic. Now, what do you do? You could remove the redirects, but maybe like you don't know that that was the cause. And if 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 they have been caught by Google as, um, you know, against Google's guidelines, removing the redirects is not going to improve your traffic. So you're going to be at this horrible stuck place. So my advice for this would be it depends on what the purpose of this website is. If your purpose is uh, to grow the business and, um, you know, make this a website like that website that I uh, bought some expired domains and pointed them at many, many years ago. That website is still thriving today. I uh, I actually have disavowed those links. I don't own them, own them anymore. And, uh, you know, we have good links pointing to the site now. Um, and if I, you know, let's say I had gone down that road and I, and I was like, ooh, this worked. You know, it did work for a while. And I bought more of them. Well, and then, you know, at some point of traffic declines, I would be in this awful place of trying to decide whether to remove those redirects. Could I do more harm? And it, it would be very challenging. So if your purpose is to grow your business, I would not recommend it. There's too much risk with it. If your purpose is to maybe grow the site and then sell it, I don't know anybody who would buy a website that is, um, you know, primarily ranking on the power of expired domains, on the power of a tactic that Google has told us is an unnatural linking tactic. So it would be challenging to sell it. Who knows? Perhaps there's a black hat community that uh, there probably are black hat communities where people would buy that type of thing, but it's a risk. Um, so the one situation where I would say that maybe you could do this is uh, what what I would call a churn and burn site, uh, a website that you're creating, um, you know, just trying to experiment with it and getting it to rank. And if it doesn't rank or if it gets torched and it dies, that it's not an issue for you. Uh, still know that it's against Google's guidelines. Um, I, the reason why I'm mentioning it is it's not that it's illegal. It's not immoral. 
but it is against Google's guidelines. So I wouldn't recommend it. Um, I know people who do do it and, you know, have some measure of success, uh, but it's very hard to, you know, interpret those successes because uh, usually the people that are doing this type of thing are people that are also doing other black hat stuff. Um, and so we, you know, it's, it, we don't see a lot of case studies that, uh, that are reputable on uh, how to do this properly. So definitely uh, not something that I, I would recommend. So I think we'll, we'll leave it there. This is our longest podcast ever. Um, I'm going to have uh, more for you next week on the May 2020 update. You can reach out to me if, uh, uh, if you need help. Uh, you can reach out to my team at help at mariehaines.com. I mentioned earlier that our inbox is uh, receiving emails already from people who want site reviews. This is really good news for us. I'll tell you our business has been down a little bit um, in terms of coronavirus, and this will help us. Uh, but we will be uh, probably dealing with a waiting list at some point. Um, so now's the time to get in. If you're, if you're thinking about having us do a, a review, and again, you can reach out to help at mariehaines.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, hang in there. There's a lot of interesting stuff that's going on in SEO right now. Maybe a good distraction from what's going on in the world. Um, who knows? So I hope you're, you're doing okay. I hope this May update is going to be good for you. Um, and I wish you definitely the best of luck with your rankings this week. Mm -hmm.